You're listening to an encore presentation of A Place of Peace. Did you know you were in need of being rescued? Hi everyone, Peggy Stanton here, your host on A Place of Peace. If you were with us last week, you have an idea what we are talking about. If you weren't, you have no idea, or you are guessing from COVID-19. Wrong. Something much worse, so stay tuned. Our guest again this week is Father John Ricardo. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit. He's former pastor extraordinaire, but he is the present executive director of Acts 29, an apostolate that equips clergy and laity for the apostolic age in which we're now living. He has written what I call a gospel thriller titled Rescued, which is divided into four parts, Created, Captured, Rescued, Response. Last week we focused on Created and Captured. This week, we conclude with Rescued and Response. If you missed last week, shame on you. But you can catch up by going to AveMariaRadio.net and clicking on the audio archive and scrolling down to a place of peace. Welcome back, Father John. Thanks for giving us this time. Will you lead us in a prayer, please? Yeah, I'd love to. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Father, we just ask right now, by the grace of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see your Son in his majesty and his power and his glory and his love, and help us to know that in the midst of everything that's going on right now, he is Lord, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, that he has no rival, that the world is in his hand, our lives are in his hand, and we have nothing to be afraid of. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank well, nothing you. like a little cap of guilt to start us off with, huh? If you, didn't, <laughs> if you weren't here last week, shame on you. <laughs> Good for you, Peggy. <laughs> That's right. I just want them, you know, down on their knees there. <laughs> there you go. Rescued. Explain what you mean by that phrase, rescued, in terms of... Yeah, so let's of... just go back quickly to last week. And so we talked yeah. about how the result of the fall, mm-hmm. the result of what we read about in Genesis 3, the... Uh, the deception of Adam and Eve by Satan is that our race unknowingly sells itself into slavery to powers that we can't compete against, most especially the power of sin, the power of death, the power of hell, and the power of Satan. So the human race on its own is stuck and doomed to futility, not because God's done something, but because we've done something to ourselves at the instigation of Satan, who himself is a creature who rebelled against God. You've got to go back to listen to last week to get that. So that's where we find ourselves. So think rescued now. So maybe ask yourself, imagine you're looking at, this is the image that I find most helpful personally, you're looking at the Allies landing at Normandy. Mm-hmm. And I was to ask you, what are they doing there? Mm-hmm. Well, you would, you would tell me, well, they're there to rescue people. They're there mm-hmm. to fight. They're there to go to battle against a tyrant and deliver a continent that's been enslaved by you know, a demonic dictator. Ah, okay, great. And you'd be right. Now I show you an image of Jesus lying in a manger. And I asked you, what's he doing there? And unfortunately, Mm. I don't think most of us have an understanding of what the answer is. Or another way to be asked Mm. it might be, God became a man in order to do what exactly? And I don't think most of us have a 
an answer that just falls off our tongues. But Scripture has a very clear answer to that, you know, I mean, a number of very clear answers. First John chapter 3 tells us that, you know, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. So we could say God became a man. We just came out of the season of Easter, not or Christmas rather, not too long ago. God became a man. Why? To go to war, to free the creature that he loves more than every other creature, which is the human race, made in his own image and likeness made out of love, made for friendship, made to be divinized. And so he goes to war by competing against the enemy, binding the strong man, as the way Jesus puts it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, making atonement for us and our sins and showing us the love of the Father. That's, that's his mission in a very real way. So what's, what's he done from that? He's rescued us from these powers. So St. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, he talks about how he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, or rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. What's the kingdom of darkness? Death, sin, hell, Satan. And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what God the Father's mm-hmm. done in Jesus. And that's not poetry. Like, that's real. Mm-hmm. That actually happened mm-hmm. when you and I were baptized. Right. I got transferred. So imagine, you know, like, you present your child for baptism, and then after the baptism, I hand you that little baptismal certificate, you know, and who knows what people do with those things. <laughs> but the, the way to think about that is that's like a new, a new birth certificate, a new passport, because... New the, license. The objective... Yeah, new, but th- this is so hard for us to get because, you know, the, the child looks so beautiful and cute and mm-hmm. innocent, but it's not. I mean, it might be beautiful and cute, but it's actually born under the power of sin and death, and it has no hope. None, like zero. It's hard to then, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? But it, but it's true because of mm. what happened because of us selling our race into slavery. Mm. And so every human being is born captive to these powers. And then suddenly, God, God does this on His own in the most extraordinary way, out of love. He Himself comes to rescue us, and that happens for us who are living now. When we get baptized, we moved. We got new papers. Mm. So I hand you that baptismal certificate. And you, it says your child, your son, your daughter, just move. They, don't long, they no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. They're not bound anymore by the power of sin or death. They now belong to a good father, not a tyrant, and they have hope. You know, that's, that's what's happened in our lives. You know, as you're saying, you know, we were in the power of darkness and, and uh, we were in sin and so forth. I guess what comes into someone's mind is we didn't do that. Adam and Eve did it. Why do we have to pay such a price for what Adam and Eve did? Yeah, good question. The same principle that makes that true is the means by which you can be saved. You didn't go to the cross. You didn't die. How is it that you can be saved by Jesus' death on the cross? I think as Americans, you know, we tend to see, we have a vision of reality uh, that's kind of hyper-individualistic. You know, like, what I do doesn't impact anybody else. So mm. that's just rubbish. If the sex abuse scandal in the, in the priesthood didn't show anything, it showed that, right? I mean, the, the scandal of what one person did, that didn't just affect that person and the person they abused. Mm. It, it impacted thousands and thousands of people, right? And so we're never an isolated, autonomous unit that has no impact on others. And, and Adam and Eve, it's a particular case because it's almost like a mother who's addicted to crack who conceives mm-hmm. a child. Mm-hmm. Comes she down in the genes. The child, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the child is born, you know, a, a crack baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often say, well, the child didn't do anything for that. Mm-hmm. So we're all contained in Adam and Eve's rebellion. Mm-hmm. But the, the, that's the bad news. The good news is Jesus has overcome that. You know, like Paul says in Romans, through one man's disobedience, death came into all. But through one man's obedience, life has come. Well, then your question is, you know, why did the Father, who was all-powerful, could have saved us in any way he chose, why did he choose such a torturous method of rescue that his son had to go through? Yeah, so a couple of things there. One is it's really important to not think that somehow God the Father is inflicting the son. I think that's really important to stress. A lot of people have an image of, like, Jesus is Mm -hmm. the good God, and the (laughs) Father's kind of harsh, yeah. Uh, that's just, that's, yeah, I wasn't really trying to imply that, but you're right. No, I, I, do people do? no I know you weren't, but I, but yeah. I know a lot yeah. of people are hearing you going, yeah, I've always wondered that too, because how come the father's so mean? How come he punishes his yeah. son? What's taking place in the whole mystery of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is taking place because the entire Trinity has willed us, mm-hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Right. So after having getting clear on that, right, the, the other yeah. thing to understand is, Jesus is, uh, this is the way people like Augustine or some of the other early church saints would say it, it's only fitting that the one who deceived our race at the beginning, that is to say the devil, Mm -hmm. should himself be deceived to destroying his own kingdom. And then he's deceived on the cross. So we need to unpack this a little bit. But you've, you've seen the Passion of the Christ, right? Absolutely. About like, ten times <laughs> or more. Yeah, so, so remember that scene. Maybe people will remember. It's a, it's a strange scene, and it's only on the screen for maybe a second. And it's right after Jesus dies. Mm-hmm. So he big, dies, and then this big tear, tear. falls from mm-hmm. heaven, right? And I always thought it was the Father. Satan in hell. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but the point is, so you see, then you, the next scene is you see Satan in hell on this cracked earth, mm-hmm. And he's screaming. Mm-hmm. And it's not a scream of, like, yippee! <laughs> it's a scream <laughs> of more like, oh, no! <laughs> like, what yeah. the heck have I done? Right. Yeah, so remember that scene, and that's how you're going to understand something about the cross. So the cross tells us a number of things. Certainly, it tells me the reality of sin, which is sin is it's far worse than any of us imagined. Mm-hmm. Okay. If that's the remedy. If that's the remedy, mm-hmm. then what's the wound? But when you're looking at Jesus on the cross, you need to ask a question, and you need to ask, what is Jesus doing there? Mm-hmm. Which, even in and of itself, that's a bizarre question, because it doesn't look like Jesus is doing anything. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's all happening to him. But it's not happening to him. If, you know, like, Jesus is God. You can't just nail God to a cross. Where are you going to get the nail? <laughs> like, he doesn't have kryptonite, right? The only way God could be on a cross is he has to want to be there. Now, why would he want to be there? What's he doing? The way the early church would answer that, kind of classic Christian theology, is three ways. There's three things he's doing on the cross. The first thing he's doing is he's showing me how much God loves me. So think of, you know, John 3.16, you know, mm-hmm. God so loved the world right. that he gave his only begotten son that we might not perish. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things he's doing on the cross. Another thing he's doing on the cross is he's making atonement for me. In other words, he's absorbing into himself, he's paying the penalty, if you will, in his own flesh for every sin that's ever been committed by any man, woman, or child in the history of the world. This is you know, St. Paul says, unbelievable to think about. Be yeah. sin, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, totally. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, mm. All right. so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he's showing me the love of the Father. He's paying the price for my sin. He's making atonement for me. And most of us hear those things in church. Um, maybe we hear love more than atonement. Mm. But we almost never hear the third one. And the third one, the third way of answering what's he doing on the cross, is the favorite way that the early church used to preach about what Jesus is doing on Good Friday. And the answer is, he's going to war for us. He's going to battle for us. So what's he doing? How does that square with the Prince of Peace? Well, he's the Prince of Peace because he's come to destroy the power of sin and death. And if if those aren't done away with, there's no chance for peace. So you have to go to war to gain peace. Yeah, some things are worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. God thinks you're worth fighting for. That's the message of the gospel. The creator of the universe that's 46 billion light years across thinks you're worth fighting for. Not against the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents or uh, the rich or the poor. Against Satan, against hell, against sin, against death. You matter to God. And so he goes to battle for us. Jesus isn't just kind. What he do you mean? But he's what? more than kind. Jesus is Lord. So let me get to this one image real quick. Okay. Because this, this helps me, anyway, understand this third way of understanding the cross. The ambush most predator? Most very foreign. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's so what I'm was my next question. Yeah. I, yeah. I love this thing. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the chapel shortly before Holy Week, praying with the crucifix, and out of nowhere, I mean nowhere, I hear these two words, ambush predator, that I have never heard in my life. And so right. my phone I, with me, I Google it, I look it up, and I'm seeing these pictures of things, and I just start to laugh. <laughs> so an ambush predator is a creature which lies motionless and still, camouflaged in its environment for one purpose, to attract the prey. And then as the prey gets close, it pounces and destroys the prey. And if I'm praying with this, I just start to laugh. Because that's my way now, and this is a very patristic, which is to say an early Christian way of preaching. That's a very patristic way of understanding the cross. Mm. Jesus is in disguise Mm. because Satan is very intelligent and extremely powerful. Yeah, didn't he recognize you? I thought he recognized him. No. He did not? Look at the demons did, Father. No, they think they do. Well, and they said, you're the son of God. God in the flesh. Yeah, but we want to be careful how we understand that. Satan would never intentionally bring about his own destruction. It's beyond his pale of comprehension that God, who is the creator of a universe that's bigger than anything you can imagine, who is Mm all-powerful, would lower himself to become a lowly creature walking this earth, confined by the need to sleep, to eat, to go to the bathroom, that would never enter into his mind. Why did he tempt him in the desert, then? He's trying to find out who he is. See, Satan, Satan's not going to pick a fight with God directly because he knows he can't win. Mm-hmm. Well, he knew this... Had the, creature. Yeah, but he knew that this fellow was pretty special if he went after him like he did, right? Sure did, but you know what? You're hanging on a cross and you're about to die because the human race is held bound. You're mine. Mm. And you might be really special. You might have done some miracles, but you're dying right now. And in a moment, you're mine. And I will have you like every other human being that's ever lived. You're mine. But that's, that's Jesus' strategy. This is the way, mm-hmm. like St. Ephraim, who's one of the great fathers, mm-hmm. or Augustine, or Gregory of Nyssa, they're, mm-hmm. they're all using different images. Ephraim uses the image of 
God goes in search of a chariot with which to ride into the underworld to liberate it from inside. The chariot is his flesh. That's a great image. Or Augustine yeah. uses. Oh, I love that image. Augustine yeah. uses the image of a fish hook, or rather a mousetrap. That his divinity is the hook, his humanity, it's the cheese, if you will, huh? <laughs> Gregory uses the image of a fish hook, you know, that, that his divinity is the hook, his humanity is the flesh. I think it's, um, uh, it's one of the other saints who says, and the one who's holding the pole <laughs> with the fish hook at the end of it yeah. is the father who's fishing for the enemy hmm. to destroy him. I think that's Isidore of Seville who talks that way. That's so, so interesting. This is, this is, because this is I, the early church's way of preaching, and we never hear this anymore. I know. And it, and it I never heard that. everything for a man. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, for a man especially, mm-hmm. a man tends to think of Jesus as weak. Mm-hmm. Jesus mm. is anything but weak. Jesus yeah. went to battle against hell, and he destroyed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's now calling you to follow him. He well, is I th- kind, he is loving, he is compassionate, but he's not just those things. I always thought that the biggest reason he went through such a torturous suffering to save us was so that we would have the capacity to understand how much he loved us, that that was the only way he could show his wonderful love for us by going through. If he had come in on a stallion, you know, cape flying and run across the sky, we'd have all admired him and recognized him as powerful and God, but we would never have had any idea how much he loved us. That's why that's one of the ways to yeah. understand what Jesus right. is doing on the cross. Right. It's not the only way. Right. And so when we preach and when we tell the story with other people around us, it's important to, and that's kind of the idea behind writing the book, is to help yeah. people understand the story so that they can share the story. Okay. All right. Now we have to say it turn to the word response. How do we respond to such love? Yeah. So this is the part that always gets shortchanged. We're probably going to run out of time here, so I'll, mm. I'll try to make it quick. There's two things here, I think. One is what's my personal response to all mm-hmm. of us? Right. And then what is it that God's asking us to do as the church? So, you know, for me, I might pose the first part by asking a question like, what's the reasonable, intelligible, appropriate, logical response to the God who made a universe that's 46 billion light years across, who became a man, went to the cross, and saved you from unending death. Isn't it to give him everything? Mm. We began last week by talking about the need right. to surrender. Right. Let's talk more that's about That's what that. faith is. Yeah. Faith is surrender. Faith means, I trust you. I mean, like, if you don't trust God, who's not just said, I love you, Mm-hmm. but who's become a man and done what he's done for us on the cross, who do you trust? Mm-hmm. And if you don't trust God, I would suggest that we need to look at the cross again and just ask the Holy Spirit, help me to know that happened for me mm. out of love. I think that's because hard to I don't absorb. know why, but I matter. <laughs> yeah, I, that is hard. You know, Father, that is a hard concept too, because I guess we all feel so unworthy. It's, when people say, well, God is madly in love with you, I say, mm, I know he loves me uh, because he can't not. He's God and he is love. But, you know, aren't you taking it a step too far when you say, well, he's madly in love with me, which is very popular to say these days. How else do you explain the cross? That's not a detached love. That, that's a love greater than any husband has ever loved a wife or any wife has ever loved a yeah. husband. This is I a, guess it's, a, a, the creator who's become a creature 
for you by name, personally, not for y'all, but for you by name, and done all that he's done. That's the hard part, and, is and individualize it. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you're omnipotent, omniscient, you know, creator, you know everybody. I can see him doing this for, you know, millions and billions of people, but just doing it for me, come on. <laughs> but see, God doesn't see crowds. Hmm. There are no crowds to God. He knows every one of us. He knows every hair on my head, every hair on your head. God, and he doesn't just like... You know, it's not like he went to the cross and says, okay, fine, I'll put up with you, I'll tolerate you, you can get into heaven. Like, God God doesn't tolerate me. God is incredibly in love with me. And perhaps, uh, you know, the person that would be worth reading if someone struggles with that is just read St. Catherine of Siena and the dialogue that she has with God the Father and how the Father just speaks to her about who he is and what his son's done. That's, that would be really worthwhile reading. So, but but it, another thing that's really important, I think, for us to get, especially now, in the midst of the culture that we're living in, with all the chaos and all the hopelessness mm-hmm. and all the discouragement and all the disunity, like what's the response of the church, which is to say the people of God? What are you and I supposed to be doing mm-hmm. right now right. until the Lord comes back and puts everything right? So, like, what's the mission of us? Like, why does Jesus send us out? And um, Mary Guilfoyle, who I know you had on your show once before, but Mary's yeah. on our team here. She always says, rescued people, rescue people. I like that. I love that. A, a great expression. Like, what's our yes. mission? It's to go rescue people. Mm-hmm. It's so important for us to understand there is no hope for anybody apart from what Jesus has done by his death and resurrection because mm-hmm. the human race is enslaved mm-hmm. to sin and death. You know, mm-hmm. Archbishop Vigner on here in Detroit talks about the need to unleash the gospel. Why mm-hmm. do we need to unleash the gospel? Because there's no hope. Mm-hmm. There's no hope apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, there's abundant hope, which isn't like, oh, like, I hope, I wishfully think this might happen. No, no, no. Hope is certain as a Christian. So our mission is to go to share the gospel, to let people know what Jesus has done, to help them understand who he is. Most people that we're living with, you know, working with, living with, encounter on a daily basis, they've never heard the gospel. Isn't that incredible? incredible. To think about. They don't know these four words. Mm. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know mm. what he's done. They don't know the bad news, let alone the good news. So we need to know it. We need to share it. The idea behind kind of reducing it to four words is to try to make it repeatable and easy. And the mission is urgent right now because there's so much despair mm-hmm. and there's so much disunity. And, and so fear. You, you know, and fear. Absolutely. And, and what it, happened on Easter Sunday was the beginning of the recreation of the universe, mm. which will one day be finally done when Jesus comes back in glory. But until he comes back, you and I, in our own concrete situations, wherever we are, whether I'm a, a farmer or a stay-at-home dad or a football coach or a politician or whatever I am, I'm supposed to let the Lord use me to continue that work of recreation, transformation, healing, liberation, by the way I live my life, by the way I talk, by what I do, by trying to do everything I can to bring it into conformity with how God created it to be. I want to back up one minute here. We just have a couple of minutes left, but I, you know, you talked, you listed eight achievements. Um, I'm going back now to rescue. A couple of them I would just like to quickly focus on. Number two, which is 
so relevant because he freed us from the fear of death, which is what we, why the whole world is locked down right now is because so many people are terrified of death. What, right, Father? Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think most of us live uh, in various degrees afraid of death or held bound by it is how the letter to the Hebrews puts it. And then tells us that uh, by his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Mm -hmm. That's somebody listening right now. Mm -hmm. If if you're afraid of dying, that's a slavery. Mm -hmm. And Jesus right now, at this very minute, he wants to deliver you from that. Mm. You just say, Lord, deliver me from that. Help me to know that you are stronger than death, that my life is in your hands, that you're my Lord, that I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. It can't keep me, you know? I lost my mom, I lost my dad, I lost my brother, I've lost tons of loved ones, tons of friends. Most of my friends are dead. I know I will see them again, you know, if the Lord brings me home and I can somehow stay faithful to him by his mercy, because Jesus has destroyed the power of death. Right. Like it, it just doesn't terrify me anymore. No, and, and nor does it terrify me. Because, uh, and I've noticed that all the people, not all, but most of the people who have a deep faith are not afraid of COVID. But people, I feel yeah, so... And, and this isn't because you just have like, you know, you're, you're naive or something. No, or you, no. You know, you drank the Kool-Aid. It's because no. you know objectively Jesus has destroyed death. So yeah. I don't have to be afraid of it. My friend holds the keys to the power of death and I don't have to be afraid of that. Yeah. Well, we it's are amazingly liberating. It is. It is. And the other thing that I thought, and I'll just then we have to close. But one of the most important messages in this whole book is we do not have to stay the way we are. We can change thanks to our Lord, the ambu- ambush. I can't even pronounce it correctly. Ambush predator. Father John Ricardo, thank you so, so much for spending this time with us. And tell us how we can get your book rescued. Yeah, I think you can buy it on you know, like any of the sites where you would buy books. You know, it could be Amazon or a Catholic bookstore or whatnot. It's just entitled Rescue the Extraordinary, the Shocking and Unexpected News that is the Gospel. And it's written really so that we would just be able to be ourselves overwhelmed and then somehow... By God's grace, however broken I am, or you know, somebody else might be, to let the Lord use us to overwhelm somebody else so that they could surrender to Jesus so that they can have abundant life, even now. Wonderful note to end on. Thank you again, Father John Ricardo, for being with us on A Place of Peace. <laughs>